If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You know who doesn't care that there's a stereotype of a Chinese man in a Dr. Seuss book? China. All 1.4 billion of them could give a crouching tiger flying f- because they're not a silly people. If anything, they are as serious as a prison fight. Look, we all know China does bad stuff. They break promises about Hong Kong autonomy. They put Uyghurs in camps and punish dissent. And we don't want to be that. But it's got to be something between authoritarian government that tells everyone what to do and a representative government that can't do anything at all. And that is uh, Bill Maher ranting with his guest, Josh Rogan, about to be interviewed. He's the author of uh, Chaos Under Heaven, not Bill Maher, but Josh Rogan of the Washington uh, Post. Uh, Trump, she, and the battle for the 21st century. Uh, Josh, uh, welcome back, or welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, great to be with you, Brian. So, so Josh, he pretty much nailed it. I mean, you, when did you realize, you, you talk about in your book, there's a moment when a lot of people who are serious about foreign policy realize what China is capable of and what their objectives are. For you, it was 2003 in, when you watched what China was doing with Sudan. Right. I don't think that Bill Maher is exactly correct. Uh, correct. I don't think China has won. I think that they could win, and that's why we have to do a lot more to confront the Chinese Communist Party on a range of fronts. And that's something that I came to as a reporter and columnist over the last 17 years or so, and that a lot of other Americans came to over the course of the Trump administration, which turned U.S. foreign policy toward China in a new and unchangeable way. And then, of course, everyone in the world came to that realization when the pandemic hit, because you realized if you were stuck in your basement, if you couldn't see your grandmother and whatever country you were in, that the Chinese Communist Party's actions and strategy exacerbated your suffering in some way or another. So now we're at this point in our history, no matter how we got here, no matter when we figured it out, where we realize that we have a problem here. And that's not just America. That's all free and open societies all over the world who are facing uh, China that's increasingly internally repressive, externally aggressive, and interfering in our society and affecting our security, our public health, and our prosperity. And we got to do something about it. So now that we're all have that realization, the question is, what do we do about it? Yeah, what do we do about it? For you, you realized uh, how bottom line they were in 2003 in Darfur when you see this this government committing genocide against their people, and all China cares about is the oil. So we supported that horrible government, right? Exactly. We had this bet that if we just gave China all of our money and took all of their money and engaged them as much as possible, that they would liberalize economically and that would cause them to liberalize politically. And then we would live in peaceful coexistence and everything would be hunky-dory. What I started to see in 2003 was that what China was doing around the world, forget about for a second what they're doing in their own country, which is horrendous, what they were doing around the world was that they were combining you know, um, really uh, support of genocide and economic coercion and resource draining and and abuse of all of these countries and corruption and debt and all of this stuff all together into one thing. And that's what they were doing in Sudan. They were supporting a genocide while taking the oil, while helping the government kill the people. And they were doing that because it was in their interest and they didn't care about the world order that 
we profess to believe in that has kept our country safe more or less since World War II. And now we have to realize that they're not just doing that in Sudan. They're doing that all over the world. They're trying to do that inside of our own borders. And we need a national response. We need an, an international response that takes away politics and focuses on the fact that what we're dealing with in the Chinese Communist Party is something that is uh, adverse to our interests and our values. And we have to realize that uh, right away. But we have uh, we have a formidable foe. You could argue much more formidable than the Soviets. But what did, when Trump wins Correct. the election, do you believe China's shocked? Everyone was shocked. Okay, I was shocked. I don't know if you were shocked. Some people were more shocked than others. The Chinese Communist Party was definitely shocked because they had just met with the Obama team, Rice and Kerry. One week before the election, who promised them that everything was going to be fine, that Hillary Clinton was going to win, and the relationship was going to be lovely. Okay, And so when Trump comes in, they heard what he said on the campaign trail, and they immediately called upon their billionaire friends, including Henry Kissinger and the like, to help them get out of this, to help them avoid what was coming. And that is the frame of the book. It's the fact that you had a lot of people inside the Trump administration who are working to change our U.S. policy toward China in a more competitive and, yes, even sometimes more confrontational direction. At the same time, you have these other people who were helping the Chinese Communist Party subvert all of that. And that's the struggle. And that's what President Trump was dealing with. And he made some mistakes, but he did some things right. And that's what the book is about. It's not a pro-Trump book. It's not an anti-Trump book. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, in the end, we turned out with a much tougher Trump policy toward China. And that's partially because Trump eventually realized that this is a problem that he had to deal with on a range of fronts, and also because the Chinese Communist Party uh, did a lot of things that made the world sick, and that convinced a lot of people both inside and the, outside the administration that we had to take the gloves off. Yeah, absolutely. So you talk about we, everybody else was talking about Russia, Russia, Russia. You told your right. editors, send me to China. Uh, you, you're not a Republican or Democrat. You, go, you love foreign policy, and you said That's China's right. going to be the focus. Now it seems like everyone's coming around to that. As it turns out, Russia is the declining power and China is the rising power. And no matter what you think about Russiagate, it doesn't matter because what we have to do is focus on what's going on right now. And what's going on right now is that the most important in issue in U.S. foreign policy really in the world is the U.S.-China relationship, and we have to get it right. And that doesn't mean we have to bring down the CCP tomorrow, and it doesn't mean we have to totally separate our two economies. We don't want a Cold War. That's the bumper sticker that they'll tell you, oh, what are you, crazy Americans? You want a Cold War? That's what the Chinese like to say. But no, it's actually a little bit more nuanced than that. We have to deal with a China that is very powerful and very rich in doing things in countries all over the world. And also exerting influence on our politics and interfering in our media and in Hollywood and in our sports and on our campuses and in Silicon Valley and on Wall Street. Those are very big institutions that are not really good at working on foreign policy, much less with the U.S. government and the FBI. But we all got to come together on this thing. And that's a much more difficult problem than the Soviet Union ever was. And that's what we have to wrap our minds around before we figure out what to do. So, Josh, if people want to know, you know, who aren't into foreign policy like you are, and say, why, why should I care? Just think about this. They came out with a statement at H&M that, you know, they want to make sure that Uyghurs weren't making the cotton. The slave labor wasn't making the cotton for their products. Right. Same thing with Nike. And Nike, excuse me, China goes, gets mad at them and starts uh, sanctioning them and threatens to let them right. tell them we're going to move your stuff out. The NBA has a general manager uh, retweet something in support of Hong Kong. And all right. of a sudden, the NBA is barred for no one could see any NBA games in China. So this is how uh, on edge this relationship is and how arrogant this the emerging power has become. Think of 
the arrogance, and you're exactly right. Think of the arrogance of the Chinese Communist Party to say, not only can't you tweet what you want to tweet, if one person in your company tweets it, we're going to kill the whole company. We're going to destroy your business in China and anywhere that we can. Uh, and there's not enough graveling and bowing and scraping that you can do to get out of it. Okay, And that's what happened with the NBA. That's what happened with H&M and Nike. And their only objection was that they wouldn't shut up about mass atrocities that are happening on our watch. Now, the reason that that's not going to work, I think, is because Americans, as they learn about these things, and you know, they are learning about these things, Americans are not stupid. They don't want to put the slave labor cotton on their backs. They don't want to put the hair that was shaven off of the women's heads, the human hair that came from the concentration camps. They don't want to put that on their heads once they know that's where it came from. So that bullying tactic only goes so far once the American people are woken up to this kind of thing. And I would just say to anyone who isn't convinced, how do you like your pandemic? Because that pandemic would have been a lot less deadly, a lot less uh, um, crazy, a lot less uh, dangerous if the Chinese Communist Party had not gauged in a year-long campaign to hide what it knew about it. That continues to this day. They still won't tell us what they know. They took everybody who blew the whistle and they threw them in prison or they died of COVID. And now here we are a year later. The WHO totally botched their report. They, it was a total whitewash written, according to Anthony Blinken, by the Chinese government itself. They investigated themselves, okay, and then told us to shut up if we dare not go along. And so I would say to anyone who's not convinced that this is a problem, do you want to do this every year or do you want to figure out what's going on with this pandemic so that we can stop it and prevent the next one? So we're wondering why uh, there isn't more outrage in the medical community, the WHO, about this. And while it turns out the WHO had their president put there by China— uh, George Bush was looking the other way, didn't think it was that big of a deal who appoints it. Even though we give the bulk of the money, they have the most bulk of the influence. And then you point out, too, that there's a complicated relationship that you say in the media it's not a good time to bring up between Anthony Fauci, the, uh, the NIH, and this Wuhan lab, which may in fact have given birth to this poison that has infected the earth. Could you talk about that? Yeah, so on the WHO, you know, they are caught between a rock and a hard place because they, they are dependent on the Chinese, and the Chinese are laundering, the Chinese Communist Party, rather, is laundering its lies to the WHO, and the WHO has become a laundromat for Chinese Communist Party propaganda, which is a big problem, okay? doesn't mean we should nix the WHO. It means we should try to fix it, in my view. But the bottom line is that that WHO director that you talked about, Dr. Tedros, when they're releasing the report that says we shouldn't look into the lab, makes a speech saying, actually, we should look into the lab. But let me repeat that for your listeners. The head of the WHO, not a pro-Trump, anti-China, racist, conspiracy theorist, said we have to look into the lab, directly contradicting his own report. There's a reason he did that. It's because everyone now understands that that's a possible theory. We don't know that it, that it came from the lab. This is a theory that there was an accident, that this lab that was doing all the back coronavirus research in the world had a, a horrible accident, and then they covered it up. That's the theory. Not a bioweapon, just an accident. And we have to look into it. And now Robert Redfield, the head of the CDC at the time, again, not that he never made a mistake or anything like that, but he's a virologist. He saw the intelligence. He says we have to look into the lab. And once you get that into your head, like, okay, well, listen, it's not a bad thing to say we have to look into the lab, even though for a year we were told, don't you dare say that. 
Uh, now we can just openly talk about looking into this lab. Well, what does that mean? Well, this lab was doing research with Americans, with American scientists. It's called gain-of-function research. It's where they take a bunch of dangerous viruses and try intentionally to make them more dangerous in the lab to try to predict what, how they might emerge in a pandemic. And the theory that Robert Redfield has endorsed is that actually that research may have caused the pandemic, again, quite by accident, a horrible tragedy, but a tragedy that we need to understand nonetheless. And the head of that gain-of-function research is Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been telling us, you know, we don't really need to look into the lab. Now, if you just said that those sentences in a row to people who didn't understand that those were you know, uncomfortable and impolite things to say in the media and in Washington society, most Americans would listen to that and most Americans who hear that for the first time say, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, let's just look into the lab. Oh, wait, that means we're going to have to look into the lab's best friends. That includes Dr. Fauci. But that's a very sort of impolite thing to say in Washington. But I, I say it because it's true and because it's the direct and simple implication of what Robert Redfield said, which is that this research might have caused a pandemic. we got to figure it out one way or the other. Hey, Josh, when, why is that not a story of the Washington Post outside you? Like, it why, is. I what? wrote it in the but right, but like, why is it? Why why is the media not want to report on that? That, that that's a major story. I mean, it's the same media that you know, blew the lid off the Bill Clinton scandal, right? The New York Times did a lot of the impeachment investigation on that. Like, what's happened? You know, for a year we were told, don't worry about the origin because the most important thing is that people are sick and dying. And now that we were told, oh well, we can't write about the lab theory because then you're agreeing with Trump and Trump's a racist. Tom Cotton shouldn't agree with Trump. Yeah. Or Tom Cotton or Mike Pompeo. And then we had these scientists who are the friends of the lab, who are the guys who worked with them, telling them, that, telling us that, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. That's racist. You can't talk about the lab. And then Big then Tech takes down anything that you have up there that says that. Exactly. So this is a, I, I understand how we got here. The story got all screwed up for a lot of reasons. And some of it was the media's fault. And some of it was the fault of these scientists who had clear conflicts of interest, like the EcoHealth Alliance, and they were the friends of the lab, and they're telling us not to look at the lab. And then they went to the lab and asked the Wuhan scientists, did you do it? They said, no, okay, case closed, Nobody, everybody believe us, and that just is not going to stand anymore. Now, I don't know why the media seems so uninterested in solving this pandemic. I can't figure that out. It boggles my mind, okay? My, my working theory is that they don't want to admit that they were wrong. You know, that if you are getting attacked and, and oh, well, don't you want to, you know, your instinct is to say, oh, well, I tweeted something in March 2020, and I don't want to go back on that because I'm going to get dunked on by whoever. But what I'm saying is that's not important. Nobody should care about that. I don't care what you tweeted, Brian, in March 2020. Yep. I'm not going to tell you what I tweeted in March 2020 because it's April 2021, and we got to look into the lab. we got to figure this out. It's a matter of our public health. It's a way to prevent the next pandemic so that we don't have to do this every two years. And so my, I'm, not, I'm not here to dunk on the media. I'm here to beg the media, hey, why don't you be interested in solving the pandemic? Join me in trying to figure this out. And if it goes the other way and it turns out it wasn't the lab, great. I'm, I'm, that's fine. I don't care what the outcome is. I just care that we figure it out one way or the other. And there are some more and more people in the media and in the scientific community coming out, I would say bravely, because you're, you're going to get attacked. And I've been attacked now, but that's not the point. It's not about me. Nobody cares about me. It's about solving the pandemic. And it's going to take a lot of people, including Congress, by the way, Kathy McMorris Rogers, uh, the Republican head of the Energy Committee, wrote a letter to the EcoHealth Alliance saying, we're going to need to look at your work with the Wuhan lab. And this is the first time I've really seen a 
leading congressperson say, okay, well, listen, if you think the labs are so innocent that you should have no trouble turning over your books to us and all the work that you were doing with the Wuhan labs, because you know what? The Chinese Communist Party is probably not going to let us really investigate the labs, but we can investigate our labs. Again, the labs that are in the system run by Anthony Fauci. So that's a good place to start. That's what we can do right now. Hey, Josh Rogan, everyone's got to go out and get your book. It's called Chaos Under Heaven. We've got to have you back. I'm up against a hard break now. But uh, I I appreciate what you're doing, and I love the way you keep politics out of it. You just want answers, and your topic affects every single person on the planet. Nobody's expunged from it. So thanks so much for coming out with this. Appreciate it. Anytime. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.